This program is brought to you by the Assembly of Geeks, geek content for a geeky world. Visit us at assemblyofgeeks.com. From the swamps of Dagobah to the heights of Cloud City, The Empire Strikes Back was a feast for the eyes and an emotional journey that would keep fans talking for the next 37 years. Character arcs reign supreme in George Lucas and Irvin Kirshner's masterpiece. The repercussions of this film are sure to be felt in future additions to the saga. Welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. Here are your hosts, Charlotte and Caitlin. Hello, and welcome to Sky Talkers This Galactic Life. I'm your host, Charlotte. Hey guys, I am your other host, Caitlin. And as you've guessed, today is all about Empire Strikes Back. And I can't believe we're already here. I know. I was thinking about it today. It's, you know, I feel like we've been doing this machete series for a little bit it feels like even though we've only done (laughs) two (laughs) but we've prolonged it for the past like two episodes I know I know we're sorry of course we had this huge break before what a lot of people consider the best Star Wars movie of all time so hope it's worth the wait (laughs) it'll be worth the wait I promise totally worth the wait I'm really excited to talk about it I actually just finished watching it I know, me too. Me too, actually. Um, So if you guys are new listeners to this episode, um, Charlotte and I have been going through all of the Star Wars films in machete order or the Sky Talkers machete order. Um, And if you don't know, traditional machete order um, mixes up the order of the Star Wars saga films. It goes A New Hope, Empire Strikes Back, Attack of the Clones, Revenge of the Sith, and then Return of the Jedi. And now, I guess, The Force Awakens. Um, But Charlotte and I, we um, put in The Phantom Menace at the beginning of Machete Order and have kind of been analyzing how how we like adding in The Phantom Menace at the beginning of Machete Order. So we've done Phantom Menace, we've done A New Hope, and now we are on Empire Strikes Back for this episode. Yay! Woohoo! But before we get into it, um, I did want to respond to a listener email that we got. And as always, you can send us your thoughts on over Twitter or on our email, which is skytalkerspodcast at gmail.com. Um, and we love to get listener emails. So, And we, we just really like to hear what you guys are thinking. We really do. We have gotten so many good emails that have really made us think about things in a different way. So please keep them coming. Yes. And including this one. So we got one from Bryce in Cincinnati, Ohio. So hi, Bryce. But it was responding to our The Phantom Menace episode where we, Caitlin and I basically on the episode talked about how we weren't huge fans of Anakin's virgin birth. He responded saying, I like it because it makes Vader more likely to sacrifice for his son because he never had a father. And I just think this is a really good take. And I agree. And it makes me actually like the whole virgin birth thing more. Um, It magnifies Vader's own fatherhood and... In the end, I think that it kind of reflects back a little bit better than, I don't know, I just really like it. What do you think, Caitlin? I do, too. Um, Bryce went on to explain more about why he thinks uh, the virgin birth virgin birth actually works really well when you think about Vader's sacrifice for Luke. Um, because Vader, as Anakin, knew what it was like to grow up without a father and um, probably immediately connected with that and Luke, realizing that Luke was his son and Due to Vader's actions, Luke now suffered the same fate of growing up without a father, too. Um, and then Bryce also made a really good point that uh, once you put in a father figure, that's, again, that's kind of everyone's going to want to know who's the dad, who's the dad, who's the dad. And that's going to be a really big part. And so, yeah, I think Bryce hit it right on the nose. I really enjoyed his analysis, and I, I think I'm, I'm definitely more on board with the virgin birth now, I got to say. Me too, me too. So thank you, Bryce, for the email. Yeah, thank um, you. And the next order of business is we have very exciting news. Uh, Caitlin drum and I are going roll. to... Yeah, okay, well, I skipped right past the drum roll because I'm so excited. <laughs> but um, Caitlin and I are coming to Dragon Con. Dragon Con. We went last year and it was so fun. <laughs> last so... year was actually... It's actually going to be really great because... Charlotte and I are originally from Georgia, and we had never been to Dragon Con before, which 
is upsetting in hindsight now, um, but it was the first time. And going to Dragon Con and seeing so many great podcasters there was actually a big part of our inspiration for starting this podcast. So it's definitely going to be really special now, a year later, coming back to Dragon Con uh, with Sky Talkers as a yeah. real thing. I know. It's so crazy. It's like really full circle. A really exciting thing is we are actually going to be on a panel on Sunday at 5.30 p.m. Um, It's called The 40 Years of Star Wars A New Hope, I think. (laughs) Um, If you're there, though, we'd love to see you in the audience and come say hi. We have buttons and hugs and probably stickers, but definitely buttons and hugs. Definitely (laughs) buttons and hugs. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) It's going to be great. Yeah, we are absolutely floored and a little bit nervous that we're going to be on this panel. Um, So it's going to be all about A New Hope and celebrating the past 40 years of Star Wars, which is obviously something we're really into talking about. So (laughs) Obviously. Obviously. So if you're there, we would love to meet you and we'd love to have you in the audience. Um, But we're really excited and we'll be sure to give updates afterwards. So. Oh, yes, definitely. It's going to be fun. And so for our last order of business before we get right into Empire Strikes Back, so another thing we've been doing with our Skytalkers Machete Order is with each movie we have been uh, doing a special bonus episode on our Patreon page for free that basically highlights one of the stars of the Star Wars movies in some of their other films. Uh, So with The Phantom Menace, we highlighted Ewan McGregor, and uh, we watched his film... Moulin Rouge that was voted on um, by our listeners on our Twitter page. And for A New Hope, it was Corvette Summer, which is not up yet, but it will be by the time you're listening to this. So (laughs) you guys can go check out Corvette Summer on our Patreon page for free. And with Empire Strikes Back, we are going to be highlighting the one and only Miss Carrie Fisher. And we're really excited because the two films we've chosen for her, um, we are going to be watching either Postcards from the Edge, which um, Carrie wrote the book and the screenplay, correct? I think so. Yeah. So she wrote the book um, and Meryl Streep um, stars in Postcards from the Edge. And then we, the other option is When Harry Met Sally, which Carrie Fisher's character is one of my favorites that she's done in Harry Met Sally. Um, So you can vote for that on our Twitter page. So A, Postcards from the Edge, or B, When Harry Met Sally, and we will get that analysis up a lot faster than we did Corvette Summer. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I promise. Anyway, um, I think we should just jump right into it, don't you think? I think so. Okay, so in part one, we are following the same format that we have for our other Machete series. In part one, we are going to be talking about story. And in part two, we're going to be talking all about the characterization in Empire Strikes Back. And in part three, it's kind of our catch-all where we respond to your Twitter questions and talk about how this movie exists in the machete order. So without further ado, let's get started. Luke Skywalker and Han Solo rescued the princess, destroyed the Death Star, but their story didn't end there. Creators of the biggest smash hit of all time bring you the next episode in the Star Wars saga, The Empire Strikes Back. Coming to your galaxy next summer. All right, welcome to part one, where we're going to be talking all about the story and plot of Empire Strikes Back. And can I just start off by saying that this is such a great movie? <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> it's like, so good. So good. I mean, honestly, just like outside of Star Wars, it's just a fantastic film. It's amazing. It's so well written. It it's is. beautiful. The characters are so amazing. And yeah. it's just like... It's perfect. I love this movie. And every time I watch it, you guys know I love Revenge of the Sith, but I gotta say, Empire is the best Star Wars movie in my opinion, and I know it's like a pretty popular opinion. Mm-hmm. It's just so well done. It is. It. I mean, I know we as huge Star Wars fans watch Star Wars a lot, but even then, I try not to watch Star Wars all the time. 
if that makes sense. Um, mm-hmm. Me too. Because then when you watch it in, in settings like this, you, I don't know, you, you get to be reminded about little things that you've missed before or something you forgot about on your last viewing or something. And Empire, I mean, with any Star Wars movie, but especially Empire, I feel like I'm always noticing new things. Um, and this viewing in particular was just really fun, especially thinking about it um, from our Machete Order series, too, with having the Phantom Menace at the start of this Machete Order um, was really great. But obviously, do we think this is a satisfying film? Um, I do. I think yeah. <laughs> that a movie doesn't have to have happily ever after to be mm-hmm. a satisfying film. And I think that just says it all. Um, yeah. Empire ends on an unresolved note but at the same time it ends <laughs> and it's fine I guess yeah. I, I don't know I think that it's just a beautiful tragic and confusing film in end that is just really satisfying it is what I love about this film and when you compare it to a new hope a new hope is you know it's the classic hero's journey we've everyone has talked about this a million times you know the mm-hmm. man with a thousand faces and this film focuses so much more on the characters and really delving into them and kind of departing from those archetypes in a way that we saw in A New Hope. But to contrast that, then the story itself is so structured. I mean, the three acts are so clear. You know, you start on Hoth, then you have Dagobah with Luke and the Millennium Falcon with Han and Leia, and then everyone ends on Cloud City. And it's very rigid that way, but in that structure, you really get a chance to dive in deep with what these characters are going through. So I I love that about this film. Totally. And the way that they um, separate these characters so that they can experience their own trials and tribulations, the plot really does a lot of work for that. And I think Mm -hmm. that's really amazing. What you said about three different sections is really interesting because where we have left off in A New Hope, you know, everything is victorious, everything is great, but the empire we meet, the empire, the resistance that we meet here... The rebellion. Oh my gosh, (laughs) what the heck? (laughs) The rebellion that we meet here is disjointed and they lose right away and it really, like, sets our characters on a path and kind of sets the tone for the film that, like, Mm -hmm. not everything is going to work out. And I think that's a really powerful... And bold thing to do with this fantasy. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. I think I speak for both of us to a certain degree, but certainly more so for me. Star Wars, for me, has always been about the characters. I've never been that person that has really tracked with the politics as much um, about what's going on, even with the original trilogy. Um, So I don't think I ever really noticed. I mean, I noticed, but I don't really think I appreciated in this film how once we leave Hoth, we don't really hear about the rebellion anymore um, because this movie isn't about the rebellion. It's about our characters. Um, And the events in the beginning just, like you said, exactly just set up where our our characters are going to go emotionally and physically. Totally. That's so interesting. We really don't until the very end when they're on the medical frigate thing. They... Yeah. Forget. Forget. <laughs> That's such a great word. I know. <laughs> so funny. Um, but what were some of your favorite scenes, Caitlin? Oh, I mean, everything with Luke. Um, I We're going to have to talk about Luke a lot in part two, so I'm not going to dwell on it too much here. But everything on Dagobah I really loved. Um, I mean, this film is just so beautiful. I will never not stop whatever I'm doing and watch the scenes on Cloud City. Because it's just, it's so beautiful. It's so pretty. <laughs> um, I love that. But I, I really do love ha- um, Luke and Yoda on Dagobah. Um, I think it's, especially now, I've got some really interesting thoughts about Yoda in light of the Phantom Menace in this viewing. Um, but I, I think those scenes... I feel like you're just always learning more from those scenes about Star Wars and gleaning more, and and your opinion is always changing. I don't think I've ever had the same opinion about the Force or the Jedi or anything after I watch Empire Strikes Back. So true. I completely agree. Um, Mm -hmm. I think my favorite scene, I have to agree with you, is the scenes with Yoda and Luke. I think they're so 
amazing at setting up Luke's struggle and naivete and youngness. Um, but also, it's just brilliant what they did with a puppet. And really I, I mean, is. everyone says that, but mm-hmm. it's crazy that the basically the wisest character in all of Star Wars was this like weird little puppet. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I love when Yoda brings the X-wing out of the water. It's just so cool, and it's the so the. Great. All the lines around that scene are just perfect and mm-hmm. um, so quotable, but also so meaningful. It's just so good. But another little moment that I love <laughs> is when Chewie hugs Luke from behind on Hoth. I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's great. This movie does have, it's, I feel like all the actors are so much more comfortable in their roles um, they're, I don't know, they feel more at home in the universe. Like when the battle at Echo Base in the beginning and Luke is swinging on the AT-AT. I'm sorry for everyone who calls it an AT-AT. <laughs> we call it AT-AT. Um, but like it's, it's just so realized. Like Luke is swinging and he kicks off the leg of the AT-AT in, in order to get better leverage. And, and I don't know, he, he just seems more at home in this universe and, and as an as Mark Hamill being Luke Skywalker in this situation. I don't know. Everything just felt more grounded. Not that Tot- A New Hope isn't grounded, but uh, does that make sense? Oh, no, I completely agree. I think that by this point, the actors had realized that, okay, this is legitimate. And mm-hmm. I think that this is, I think it's going to look really good when we're done. And yeah. um, this is a really fun playground to play play in. But the thing is, is that I'm sure that they realize that to some extent in A New Hope, but you're right, they're so much more comfortable, which is interesting because, you know, when you're filming a sequel and like developing a sequel, I think there's a lot of stress that goes around that, like in its, in, yeah, just in itself. Um, but I think that this is like one of the best sequels ever. So I'm sure things success. Were, were much more real. I mean, of course they were stressful because you're filming a movie. I mean, it is a sequel, but I think because George Lucas wasn't directing, I feel like George was probably calmer too, and that in turn kind of went magnified out to the rest of the the production. Well, yeah, because like Irvin was like taking over. Yeah, Yeah. but George was like having panic attacks in A New Hope. You know, (laughs) everyone speaks a lot slower in Empire Strikes Back than they do. You know, like. It was a different environment on set. For, for better or worse, it was different. But, I mean, Luke and R2 on Dagobah is the cutest thing ever. And oh, it's so cute. It's like it's so some cute. of R2's best scenes. It really is. R2. R2. <laughs> 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 it's so cute. And he's just like, do do in the water. <laughs> but it, it made me think about um, The Force Awakens and how I need... When we first watched The Force Awakens and R2 was in low power mode and you're like, what is that about? I don't like that's that's still not my favorite part of the movie is is R2 being in low power mode and then just deciding to wake up, you know. Mm-hmm. But after being reminded of how close Luke and R2 are in Empire Strikes Back, I'm OK with it more now because I'm like, yeah, R2 really does love Luke and it probably hurt him a lot that Luke left. Oh, <laughs> I hope that they're reunited. I hope there's a lot of reunions in Lost Jedi's. I'm hoping for so many reunions. So many reunions. (laughs) Another question that I wanted to pose was, this movie is pretty grounded by its score. And I think that it is arguably John Williams' best addition to the Star Wars canon. So many iconic themes come from this. Imperial March, Asteroid Field... Yoda's theme. Han and Han and the Princess. Han and Leia. Oh, yeah. Han Solo and the Princess. Like, so many great themes. It's just, like, perfect. And it really builds this emotional journey of a movie. And it does. I just have to ask, like, how much of the story is supported by the score? Like, what if we didn't have the score? Everyone has said, George Lucas has said this on multiple occasions, that Star Wars would not be as successful as it is without John Williams' score. And I, I agree with that, but I think Empire Strikes Back was just, like in New Hope, it was it was the perfect storm. I mean, you can't take for granted Ralph McQuarrie's work in this film either. No. I mean, 
all of those pieces had to come together and they came together beautifully because people like John Williams and Ralph McQuarrie and, and George and Irving Irvin and all the all the actors, they were all on point. All of them were, were doing exactly what they were supposed to be doing to the best of their ability. And I think John and, and Ralph in particular, because this film is just so iconic for how it looks and how it sounds. But then totally. the, the character, I mean, everything about this movie is, is kind of perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I know. To me, I think that Han and Leia's relationship really has way more depth because of the theme supported by John Williams. It makes it more tragic. It makes it more emotional. I think that without that, I truly don't know if I would feel the way I feel about um, the I love you, I know scene where Mm -hmm. he's frozen in carbonite. I think that that emotional score really lends itself to how powerful the story is. It really does, too. And what I love about Han and the princess theme is that it evolves out of Princess Leia's theme. Yeah, it's beautiful. Um, and it, it's just, they they blend together so perfectly, just like Leia and Han. Aww. <laughs> not so perfectly. They're not the perfect couple, but... No. <laughs> their score is perfect. I know, so perfect. So at least they got that going for them. Really, I think we want to talk about characters. This always happens. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this movie is about the characters. Um, I know, that's the thing. The story really lifts about- up the characters. It does. And I mean, like we said, it's not about the rebellion. It's not about battles or space battles or things like that. It really is about where these characters are going emotionally. And what's at stake for them. All right. So let's get on to part two. Okay. The Star Wars saga continues with a special limited engagement of The Empire Strikes Back, starting November 19th. The Empire Strikes Back, returning to your galaxy, November 19th. Okay, here we are in part two. Yay. Characterization. Characters. So maybe even more than in The Force Awakens, this film is totally driven by characters. It's maybe the most effective character study in all of Star Wars. The characters are really tested in ways that we can't expect. And it's just really awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, okay, part three. (laughs) That's all we need to say. And moving on. And moving on, yep, okay. What I think, and we've talked about this in basically every episode we've ever had, is about how Star Wars really, this is your line, but trust the audience. Mm. Um, And this movie, and, and how Star Wars, and especially A New Hope, kind of throws you into these situations where um, it the movie doesn't take the time to really explain to you what's going on as far as in A New Hope anyway with the with the Empire and the Rebellion. But then we we segue into Empire Strikes Back, and one thing that I don't think I've I've ever really considered is for an audience watching Empire Strikes Back to see the exchange between Han and Leia at the beginning was probably really shocking. I know. It's so crazy. It was, those Luke and Leia shippers were totally set down. I know. I know. <laughs> so you don't get any hint of that in A New Hope. I mean, I mean, you, you can kind of see how they could play up a love triangle in the future. But for Han, it was always, I'm just going to irritate Luke, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't think Leia really showed any kind of romantic interest in him. I guess you could interpret some of their scenes together as, you know, romantic, but... I would have been like, wait a second, she told him how she really feels? When was that? (laughs) What's going on? You're right. (laughs) I wish I said that, um, because I always (laughs) do. This movie really trusts its audiences with its characters, and it expects you three years later to just be on board with Han and Leia. All right, this is where we are. This is, you know, she she can she professed her true feelings for me in the South Passage. It's going down. Han and Leia are a couple and you're just going to have to deal with it. It's just it's just kind of hilarious that they went that route and it's yeah. um and it's jarring coming straight off of A New Hope. It is. And and I don't think I ever thought about that because as someone who saw Star Wars after it was finished, it was like, oh, yeah, Han and Leia are together. Okay, this is when it starts. But this isn't when it starts. <laughs> this is 
another part. This is further down the line. Yeah. They're not really a couple in Empire Strikes Back. Um, no, and of course now we have all the comics and everything that kind of like set this whole like yeah sexual tension up. But and I think it's really it's really awesome that they do that because we immediately buy it. Yeah, we do. We do because their relationship. Because the scenes we did have in A New Hope of them together, there it's the same tone that we were seeing in Empire Strikes Back. They're still so snarky and salty to each other, but now it's just about a different thing. It's about their feelings towards one another in Empire Strikes Back. Yeah, and as a romance in general, I think it's actually really effective because each character, and maybe this doesn't really make a lot of sense, but I'll say it anyway, each character is strong in their own way, and they each have very intense character sets and you know we know who Leia is before she even gets involved with Han we know who Han Mm -hmm. is before she before he even gets involved with Leia and together they butt heads to but they kind of work off of each other and that's like a beautiful thing to witness it is and Leia has some great lines so good in this In this movie. My, I can't even pick a favorite, but I know I, I laugh out loud every time when she's talking to Han about the Millennium Falcon. And she's like, would it be, would it help if I got out and pushed? It's the best. And Han's like, maybe. <laughs> no, he's like, it might. <laughs> it's so funny. Oh my gosh. And then, and then when she's like, one of these days you're going to be wrong and I just hope I'm here to see it. <laughs> It's just, it's iconic. So <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, but I I know you wanted to say a lot of things about Luke, so here you go. What did you think of Luke in this Time episode? For Luke. Yeah. Um, I love Luke Skywalker. If anyone didn't know that, what was interesting about this viewing of Luke is once he gets to Dagobah. Well, I mean, one thing that's really great about this movie is you're seeing a lot more of what the Force can do. Um, And we get to see how Luke has matured from the very beginning of the movie. He's now a commander. um, He's out. um, What's the word I'm looking for? Evaluating, um, patrolling out on Echo Base. Um, And then when he gets taken by the Wampa and he grabs his lightsaber back, he sees Ben um, and he's told to go to Dagobah. And he seems, when he leaves for Dagobah, he seems in pretty good spirits. Um, but he's so, once he gets onto Dagobah, he's so quickly brought down a couple notches. Um, and not even through the training at the very beginning, before he even realizes who Yoda is, he says, Yoda says there's so much anger in him. And for a second, I was like, where, where is that anger coming from? I don't understand why Luke is angry, maybe frustrated or, or scared about the state of the rebellion, um, but I, I don't think I, I've ever really thought about what Yoda was saying when he said that there's a lot of anger in Luke right now. And I don't, I guess I wanted to ask you, where do you think the anger is coming from? Um, I think he's angry that Ben Kenobi's dead, um, and that he's supposedly supposed to train a Jedi, to be a Jedi and has to go on his own mission to find Yoda and Yoda's frustrated, you know, super frustrating to be around, um, and he doesn't really know anything about himself or his place. And I think he's just angry at his situation. It's, it's like situational anger, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I he's alone and frustrated. And on Dagobah, he crash, crashes his ship and he's stuck there. Like, how's he going to get out? <laughs> you know, it, <laughs> and I think that he's just, you know, frustrated. Yeah, I think that's a fair assessment. Um... But it's interesting because that's just adolescence, right? Like, you're just... Yeah, he's... He's coming into his own. Exactly. And he gets so angry about certain things that are just mm-hmm. situational. Like, you can figure it out. He could probably figure out how to get off that planet. It's not that hard. That hard. Yeah, like, he, he has R2-D2. Like, it, he can figure it out. But stuff like that, like, he's he's angry for basically minute reasons. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. What I find interesting about... And I, and I have to preface this by saying that Yoda is not my favorite character. And please put away your pitchforks. I know I'm a terrible person for saying that, but Yoda has never been my favorite character. Um, I've always thought that Yoda should tell people a lot more about what he knows and he doesn't for some reason. Um, and he says when he and Ben are talking in front of Luke about whether or not to train Luke, 
Yoda says that Luke is too old to train, which is exactly the same thing he said to Anakin in The Phantom Menace. Um, right. Which I thought was a really interesting parallel. And since we have seen the Star Wars movies and we know what's coming next, um, it was interesting to contrast The Phantom Menace and Empire Strikes Back with Yoda in particular because we know what happens to Anakin. And even after all these years, Yoda is still saying the same thing. Mm-hmm. Even though Yoda knows what happens to Anakin and to Vader um, and, and to the Jedi, it doesn't seem like Yoda has really taken to heart the the error of the Jedi. Does that no. make sense? Um, oh, yeah, he's, for he's sure. He's still singing the same song that he's too old to train. He's too old to train. The whole too old to train thing is just so frustrating because here we are talking about how Luke is angry and Yoda says you have to have control over your emotions, right? That's basically the whole gist. Mm -hmm. And he says he's too old to train. So like, how is Luke ever going to have control over his emotions or learn how to do that? It's just so frustrating. It is frustrating because what, what is, what is Yoda's other option I know. What is Yoda <laughs> what is Yoda doing about the state of the galaxy? Hiding. Yoda's hiding. Luke is not hiding in the last Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> um, but Yoda is and that's um that's disappointing I think for that character. And I mean don't get me wrong, I I do like Yoda. Um there are other characters I like less than Yoda. Um and I feel like Yoda carries a lot of, of guilt and tragedy in him. I mean, 800 years, good Lord, everything he's seen. But I don't <laughs> know. I, I guess I just feel like Yoda Yoda should have always done more than he did, both in the prequel trilogy and now in the original trilogy. I just think it's really cool coming off of The Phantom Menace, and then that's where we last see Yoda um, in this machete order, and then he's absent in A New Hope and then we see him again and it's kind of a reminder of that prequel trilogy era especially in this order and it's just so different I mean that you get that when you watch it you know one two three four five six as well yeah you you really because it's like oh yeah it's like shocking how weird Yoda is but you get that as well here and it's maybe just as effective because you just see how refined Yoda was in the prequels and now he's like this loner crazy guy (laughs) yeah exactly it's like you have i mean you have obi-wan who is getting training from qui-gon and i I guess yoda is just by himself for too long (laughs) (laughs) yes um that being said i really do i really do like yoda's training of luke um to a certain extent and i think we'll talk about that in a minute here um and i really do like the beginning where yoda is tricking luke basically oh yeah Um, me too it's so good it's such a great funny it's so funny yeah and it's it's such a great piece not just for the yoda character but for luke to show his you know temper boil over and we get to see this like he's still a kid you know and even the three years have passed it's he's still this kid and even though he blew up the death star and gets all this glory he's still the kid what's funny about this is that even though there are no Jedi left, and I guess we kind of understand now that the Jedi were hunted and it's not a thing you talk about, the first person Luke sees, he's like, I'm looking for the Jedi Master Yoda. <laughs> <laughs> like, no sensitivity at all that this green alien might be evil or something like that. I know. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. Again, he's just so naive. He, he's so, like, well, contextually, he he's, like, kind of dumb. Point. He should yeah. be at this point. Yeah, he should get it. He's He's been around. He knows what, what's at stake for the Rebellion versus the Empire. Like, he should yeah. get it. Like that's, but, that, like, that's not a thing Kanan would ever say if he was no. looking for Yoda. You know, <laughs> Kanan would keep it on the DL. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I, that's probably my... That's probably one of my favorite parts, too, in the movie is when Luke is talking to Artoo and he's like, I feel... I feel... And then you see Yoda pop out, and he's like, like, we're being watched. (laughs) So good. so on the money. It's fantastic. (laughs) And the thing is, is that Luke is seriously tested in this movie, obviously by the reveal of Vader being his father, which should come to a shock to us watching the Machete Order in this way, 
basically, yeah. because we didn't know that little Annie is Darth Vader, um, which is cool. I think it's uh, so much more of a shock. Yeah. The last thing you saw of Anakin was this little nine-year-old kid, and you, you know that Vader killed him, and so you know that he at least grew up to have children um, or a child at this point, but... Then to find out, you'd be like, oh my gosh, what do you this, mean? This little kid is this scary monster. It's, so, it's such a shock. Yeah. Um, but always gets me about Luke's journey in this movie is that he literally commits suicide, essentially, by jumping off of that platform and he sucked out of like the ventilator, whatever the heck that is. Um, <laughs> but like he would rather die than join this awful creature. I I always thought that Luke knew that he would be okay. <laughs> like, I, I, I want to think that, but I think that it's, like, he's, it's so dr- dramatic that, like, he doesn't want anything to do with that, so he's out of there. He just cut is, off his hand. But he's got, he's he has almost a smirk on his face when he drops. He looks down, and then he looks back at Vader, and he's got the faintest of smirks. He's like, there is another way. I got this. <laughs> Peace out, yo. Okay, that's so badass then. <laughs> He's just like, <laughs> bye. <laughs> how Vader has his arm out, and then he sees Luke drop and just drops his Drops arm. his arm. Yeah. It's so <laughs> funny. Yeah. He's like, all right. <laughs> that didn't go so well. <laughs> well played, my son. Well played. <laughs> This one goes to you. Yeah. <laughs> Luke realized he had the higher ground. It's like bye by going by going low. Going down. Yeah. Oh, so funny. What I never noticed before either in this film, and I feel like every time we do these machete order, I'm like, I never noticed this. I never noticed this. It I know. Isn't like that I the great watch these movies? No, but that's the great thing about re- revisiting these movies intermittently is that you get to see things that you've never noticed or never thought about and that's why Star Wars is so rich. It is. Um, but Vader and Palpatine, let's talk about Vader and Palpatine because we see Palpatine for the first time in this movie and I imagine back then it must have been crazy to see Darth Vader on his knees in front of someone else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, it, they, it really, you know, by the end we of A New Hope, we see Vader as a villain like floating away, kind of <laughs> flipping all over the place. <laughs> casually floats away oh he is he's just like (laughs) drifting in space and you're like all right well they blow up the death star but like he's still out there but like he's like not that good because he's just kind of can't doesn't have any control over his ship you know yeah it's 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 bad you're like they they belittle the villain but in this one it was such a bold choice by putting in the emperor because it in a way, it makes Vader less powerful and gives more power to the Emperor, but also as a combined force, you're like, whoa, this is like a huge system. There's a lot at stake here because Vader is a huge force in the galaxy. Yeah, exactly. Um, and what I love about that first scene with Vader and Palpatine is that after they agree that Luke is Anakin Skywalker's son, Vader immediately talks about saving Luke because he said, oh, he can join us. It's clear from the beginning that he doesn't want to kill him. Mm-hmm. I know. It's it's really interesting because there's a canon reason for this. And there apparently Vader found out like maybe a month before the Emperor found out about Luke because of Dr. Aphra in the comics. Oh, and yeah, so... It's really cool because in that point, Vader's had a lot of time to digest the fact that Luke's out there, Luke's his son. Mm-hmm. And it even says it in the beginning of Empire Strikes Back and the crawl. It's like obsessed with finding young Skywalker. Um, he is obsessed, yeah. but he wants yeah. Luke for himself. Yeah. And in that point, it kind of adds a little bit more meaning to that scene because he's like fighting to basically have Luke for himself. Yeah. And it's it's kind of an interesting thing because in The Force Awakens, Kylo Ren kind of does the same thing with Rey. 
mm-hmm. where he's like, um, she's strong. She's strong in the force. Like stronger uh, than she knows. She knows. Yeah, but like uh, he basically doesn't want that. I don't know. I just think it's an interesting parallel. The way it, that the way that Kylo talks to Snoke about Rey. Yeah. No, I was thinking about that too about. Vader and Palpatine and Kylo and Snoke, especially in those first scenes. It's a giant hologram of Palpatine and of Snoke Mm -hmm. Um, and talking about a offspring who is a problem, (laughs) a problem (laughs) child, as it were. Um, But this kind of goes back to, I mean, obviously knowing what we know about Star Wars, it kind of goes back to a couple months ago when we were discussing Anakin on the dark side and how he is trapped by the dark side um, and that Palpatine is continually using Anakin's sins to to give him more of a reason to never turn back to the light side and I think that in I mean I think it's very complex probably what Vader is feeling on one hand it's his son but on another hand it's a way out from underneath Palpatine's exactly Um, it's twofold in that vein and I yeah I think that's that's part of what he's doing when he is trying to rescue, quote unquote, re- turn Luke. I should say, sorry, when he's trying to turn Luke. Mm-hmm. I I completely agree. I think that it's it is a way out, and I mean, he says that you know they could destroy, we could rule the galaxy as father and son, but it adds a whole another element when they bring in the Emperor. And it's really good for Return of the Jedi. So I can't wait to talk about Return of the Jedi. <laughs> I'm so excited to talk about Return of the Jedi. Um, but let's let's go back a little bit to Luke on Dagobah leaving Dagobah with Yoda and Obi-Wan both telling him not to. Yeah. Because I think that, again, it's like watching it from the Phantom Menace onwards and then, again, knowing what the prequel – what happens in the prequel trilogy, they haven't changed at all. You know, they're still hiding things, and Yoda's more so than Obi-Wan, I think. But Obi-Wan, too, to a big degree, um, they're still not telling Luke the truth. They're not – they're the ones clouding Luke's judgment. Yeah, it's so frustrating. But at the same time, they see the, all the steps that Anakin took, which, again, in the Machete Order, we're not supposed to see this, but we'll see it in the next episode, all the things that – you know, Anakin really wanted to go save his mother. He had those visions. And Luke's like, I can't get those visions of Han and Leia out of my head. And it's just like Anakin. And I'm sure them standing there, they're like, holy crap, like, we got to stop this because this is exactly what happened to Anakin. But little do they know about Anakin's whole story and how it was, like, blinded by love and et cetera. But you can see how they would be shocked. It's just a, it's a really good parallel. It is. I, I can. I mean, I understand why they're shocked, and I get that with Anakin. And but and they don't happened. help. They they don't yeah, help they, at they all. Don't help, and they could have helped. Um, Yoda is kind of a negative Nancy in this part of the movie. He's just like, you can't help them. You know, if they're to die, they're to die. Um, you have to finish your training. Your failure in the cave. You know, he's just bringing up all of these negative things. <laughs> Um, which is not helping the situation. No, not helping. <laughs> you know, I don't. I don't think I would want to stay on Dagobah either. After all of that was just kind of thrown at me. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, Luke is Luke is above all a friend. And... Well, it comes from a place of compassion. It's not malicious yeah, it at does. all. And so then that's again <laughs> the Jedi throwing away that sort of compassion and kind of being selfish. One thing I thought was interesting about what he said, what Yoda says is that if Luke goes, he will destroy all for all for which they have fought and suffered. Which I'm not sure if I really understand that in light of what actually ended up happening, unless it's a different vision of what would have happened and Luke changed the future by leaving, but Han and Leia weren't fighting for anything when they went to Cloud City. Um, they just walked <laughs> into a trap. The way that I think of it is that they, Han and Leia are struggling to keep Luke from getting to Vader, and by Luke going, he would just kind of totally screw that whole thing up. But Han but, and Leia don't even know that it's Vader who's chasing them. 
I don't know. I don't know, Caitlin. I don't know. <laughs> That's just up for discussion. So, listeners, if you understand this quote from Yoda more than we do, please let us know. Please do. Again, it, and it was because in this viewing, I was really, I was more aware of how little the rebellion was really in it. Um, and honestly, it's because the Falcon was in pieces that Han and Leia even ended up on Cloud City. It was for literally the reason of getting their car fixed, you know? (laughs) Um, It was the closest mechanic. (laughs) Yep. Um, They weren't fighting anything. And they even say when they're there that it's a trap for Luke. Yes, they're suffering, but they're not suffering for the cause of the rebellion (laughs) or, or even suffering to save Luke. They're not sacrificing themselves for Luke. That's not a choice they made. You know what I mean? Yeah, they're not really conscious of that choice. It just, it ends up happening to them, but they weren't like, have me instead of Luke. No, you're so right. I want to hear what our listeners think about that quote, because I don't, I don't really know what to make of it either. And I have to say this, (laughs) C-3PO, oh my God. (laughs) Every, in, 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 every time I watch A New Hope and, and Return of the Jedi and other Star Wars movies, I always tell myself, Caitlin, why do you dislike C-3PO so much? She's kind of funny, you know? Like, he's not that bad. And then I get to Empire Strikes Back and the second half of Empire Strikes Back, uh, and I am reminded all over again about why I really dislike C-3PO because he is just terrible in that part of the movie. I think if I could change anything about this movie, it would be to tone down C-3PO a little bit. In Cloud City? Especially in Cloud City. I mean, I mean, right when Leia and Han are professing their love for oh each other. Oh my god, I know. And, and C-3PO is <laughs> like, oh my god, don't do not do anything, Chewie. Don't do it. Like, he's just going off and off and off on this really dramatic, heavy moment um, that it was just not needed. Very, very frustrating. I have to agree. I wish that C-3PO was toned down. But again, it kind of makes me think about how this movie is pretty dark. And for kids, C-3PO is a good distraction. He is. But at the same time, he's annoying. And so. I don't mind him. I, I, really like, I really like him and Han's banter in the beginning of the movie, actually. Yeah, um, I do, too. I love how Han deals with C-3PO and Leia, too. Yeah, I think that it's great. So great. Take the professor in the back, Joey. <laughs> I hope everyone really loved my Han Solo impression there. It was really um, good. And again, another thing I never really noticed until this viewing was just how scared Luke is after he gets on the Falcon with Leia. I know. Um, when he hears so Vader in scared. his head. Yeah. But then I've always wondered how much time has passed between that moment and the very end of the movie when they're they're talking about the rendezvous point because Luke seems I think in a like much a day better headspace. Yeah, he like um, took a shower, like yeah. <laughs> he had an operation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that still seems fa- like a fast turnaround because you could tell that he was just shaken to the core about this revelation. Yeah. And maybe that's the power of family. Now he's with Leia. So he feels a little bit more comforted and with the rebellion as well. And that's they have true. a plan. I guess you could even say that at that point, he it's almost like immediately he knows that Vader is never going to kill him and is worth saving. Yeah. But I think we should move on. We've talked a lot about characters, and we have some listener questions to get to in the catch-all. Let's go. Long ago, in a galaxy far, far away, the Star Wars saga began, and Kenner continues the excitement. Tauntaun Hothwampa and action figures each sold separately. Han Solo! Help! It's got Luke! Rafa! Watch it, Tauntaun! Gotcha! Tauntaun comes with an open belly rescue feature. You'll be okay, Luke, as soon as I chase away that thing! Rafa! Tauntaun Hothwampa and other action figures each sold separately from Kenner's Star Wars The Empire Strikes Back collection. Okay, so welcome back to part three. Um, This is our kind of our catch-all section. So before we get into the listener questions, I just want to ask, what is the Star Wars feeling in The Empire Strikes Back? Ooh. I think this is a hard one because I was just thinking about it and even what we were just talking about, about how Luke has a plan, he's back on the rebellion and everything at the end, there is that sense of hope and like a plan that wasn't even there like 10 minutes before in the movie and I think even just leaving with that sense of hope really does give you that Star Wars feeling. It does. At the end, you really feel, you feel like things are going to be okay. Everyone's in 
like we said, Luke is in a completely different headspace. Leia is smiling, and Lando and Chewie are off to to find Han. And I mean, Han is in a really bad state, but he's alive. And I think there is that prevailing sense of hope that really does come up in The Empire Strikes Back that I think is kind of disregarded in terms of other Star Wars films. Yeah, I mean... In the conversation, I mean. Yeah, exactly. I mean, because people are always talking about just how dark Empire is. And it is a very dark film. I mean, tonally, the things that happen in it, visually, it's pretty dark, um, except really for Cloud City. Um, and Hoth, I mean, Hoth is white, so it's it's brighter. <laughs> but the yeah. things that happen, but it's are like quite dark. dismal because it's like lifeless and has this scary monster on it, yeah. and the tauntauns are freezing. Tired. And yeah, but um, I think you're right. This idea of hope, and and Yoda has a moment of that too when he talks about there being another. It's just overall hopeful, I and think. That's, and that's a cornerstone but, that you have to have in Star Wars. Yeah, if you ha- you can't have like this nihilistic Star Wars film. Yeah, and it's like you knew the filmmakers put that in at the end because you had to have it there. Because can you imagine ending it on the Falcon? No. Talking about why didn't you tell me, Obi-Wan? Why didn't you tell me? And then like it just cuts it, to black. Yeah, and then it just cuts out. <laughs> I mean, that would be, wow. Imagine if they had ended it there. No, you have to have Luke and Leia smiling at each other and then looking off into the distance. Like, you have to have that. It's crucial. Yeah. Well, it's like now, now in 2017, if I could just pop in Return the Jedi immediately, it would be a really dramatic ending to have it end there, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, but 1980, no thank you. I would have been livid. <laughs> that's where it, just an echo of Luke filling as the screen goes black. Why didn't I know. you tell me? awful yeah it seriously would have so how do you think this fits into our machete order i think it fits in great yeah Uh, i mean obviously it comes right after what it's supposed to come right after i know that's the thing it's not like a dramatic switch like the last time and we kind of talked about it a little bit about how the reveal is like of i am your father is pretty awesome given we open with little anakin skywalker in this order yeah um to find out that he's the man in black yeah it's really cool i i i think it fits in really well um i can't wait for the next installment because that is a really amazing transition it is i'm really excited you guys um so i mean i so far i think that putting phantom menace at the front has actually been really great for machete order i know it's funny because we we thought we weren't gonna like it but we, we keep liking it so maybe we'll yeah, continue and, to do this. Yeah, and, and I wonder if it's one of those things where we've just never watched it in this order before, so we automatically are more prone to see things differently because of that. Um, but I really do think it works well, um, particularly with Obi-Wan and with Yoda. Um, totally. And, and the reveal, again, like we said earlier, I think of Vader being Anakin, you get so much more power and you get a much bigger shock factor. Yeah, for sure. Um, so I think we should dive into listener questions because we have some really good ones. and We got a lot. We got a lot yeah. of really great listener questions. You guys think about Star Wars a lot, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> so I want to start off with Emma. Um, Emma's question, her screen name is at Night of M. Um, should they have kept in the extended kiss scene? We're, of course, talking about the kiss scene between Han and Leia. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, on the Millennium Falcon. Um, I've watched the extended one a couple of times, and I hadn't seen it in a long time, but I know we both watched the clip that Emma posted. And, I mean, I'm all for more scenes with Han and Leia, but I think I agree with the cut they kept um, because in the extended version, you have this conversation between Leia and Han, basically that follows all the same beats that it does in the movie now, but there's this extra piece where... Leia kind of agrees to this relationship or this um, whatever it is they're doing, you know, to find the relationship. And she agrees to it and she seems more positive about it. But then she still leaves when C-3PO interrupts them. And for me, that doesn't really fit well. Um, If she was more comfortable with Han from their conversation, it doesn't make sense that she would leave after C-3PO interrupts them. Yeah, I agree. I think I'm not a fan of it. I don't think it works. I think the one that they chose is perfect and I wouldn't change it. Yeah, it's very long. The I mean, it's the extended kiss scene. 
Uh, but they <laughs> talk for a long time before they actually kiss. Which is nice. I mean, I, I'm always down for more dialogue. I am. But yeah. I I think the one that they chose is perfect. I do, too. I do, too. Um. So another question from Emma. <laughs> do you think the moment when Leia hears Luke is her, quote, awakening? Do you think her sense of the Force was slowly growing and growing stronger throughout? What do you think, Caitlin? This was an interesting question uh, because I don't know if I've ever thought about it as Leia's awakening. And I feel like Leia has probably always had kind of that, you know, my spidey senses are tingling kind of thing um, (laughs) throughout her experience as a politician and fighting in the rebellion. I think maybe this was her first real force connection with someone else. Yeah, I think so, too. I completely agree with that. I think that we'll probably see some sort of, like, force tingling in the Leia novel that's going to come out soon by Claudia Gray. Yeah. But I think that this was, like, her first moment where she was, this is real. We have to turn back. It's Luke needs us. This is where he is. And I think that you're right. It was her first, like, twin connection. Yeah, and it was her first, probably the first time she could put a name to it. You know, I bet I bet when she was a politician, they were like, oh, Leia has really good intuition about yeah. things. You know, I can kind of see something like that playing out. But then now it's like, no, this is the force. Luke needs her. Um, it's really cool because I mean, Emma's question, like, do you think the sense of her force is growing stronger throughout? Like, I think it is just by being around Luke and um, harnessing that connection throughout this trilogy, really. Yeah, yeah. It's sad because they really don't have any time together in this movie. It's kind of a bummer. It is. It is. Until the end, and then you're just, like, really happy that they're together. I know. And they have each other. Yeah, they've had each other. But it's still, they don't get to spend a lot of time with each other in this movie. Yes. Which I need to that. Yes, me too. Please reunion. Okay. (laughs) So our good friend Charlie Ashby asked... uh, asked he didn't really ask he just wanted us to talk about the malfunctioning hyperdrive sound effect which is so perfect (laughs) that's basically all i'm gonna say about it it's just so great (laughs) all right so the malfunctioning hyperdrive sound effect (laughs) i'm going to insert that sound effect right here oh yeah watch this watch what we're in trouble. If I may say so, sir, I noticed earlier the hyperdrive motivator has been damaged. It's impossible to go to light speed. Okay, cool sound effect. Cool sound effect. <laughs> okay, okay, another another really good friend of the podcast, Franklin Taylor, asked, I'm curious to hear you both talk about Leia on Hoth versus Leia on Cloud City and how others talk to her. This was, for one thing, Franklin always brings up great points on Twitter. So if you're not following him already, you should be. Um, but I... I never really watched for this before, actually. But there is such a clear division between Leia on at Echo Base and Leia on Cloud City. She's so much more of the woman in charge. But what's interesting about... Because in my head, remembering Empire Strikes Back, I was like, oh, he's totally right. You know, on on Hoth, she's, she's in the Rebellion. She's a leader in the Rebellion. And on Cloud City, she's a hostage. Uh, Han is taking the reins. She's more in the background. Um... You know, you have Lando, who's kind of infatuated with her a little bit, flirting with her a lot. Um, So there is that difference. But what was interesting that I picked up on in this viewing was how Leia is still revered as royalty, Um, particularly when the the base, when they're evacuating the base and Han is basically updating the other generals about the status of the princess, not of Leia, but of the princess kind of bothers me but she's such a badass when she like informs all the pilots in that in that beginning scene I think that this question's really interesting to me as well because I think that she totally sticks to her guns in Cloud City and is kind of manipulated and it's really frustrating to watch because you know she ends up in that jail jail cell and she's like I don't trust Lando and you know Han kind of doesn't really listen to her yeah Um, she knows what's up yeah and in on Hoth she is a commander and kind of like kicks ass and takes names you know i i don't know they're very different and it's a it's an interesting character growth for her i think it is but to your point about kind of being frustrated about the princess part of it on hoth um i don't think i'm bothered by it really because 
I think through X, through basically books like Bloodline and um, the Leia comics, we see how much of a presence Alderaan still has within the Rebellion. Um, and That's true. It's kind of become a symbol of really what they're fighting against. And so you have Leia, who is the only member of the royal family who survived. And for the Rebellion, she would be a kind of rallying point. You know, she's all that she's not all that's left, but she is the symbol of Alderaan and everything that they lost. And so to lose Leia would would be a really big blow. That's so true. I think I really Um, love that point. No, it's true. She's like a symbol in in even like her princessness kind of puts her on a pedestal. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And Han said the the only thing I, I don't know, not that I don't like, but. I guess I'm curious why they made that word choice was when Han is about is about to be frozen in carbonite and he tells Chewie, like, you have to take care of the princess. He doesn't say Leia. Yeah. I don't know if I'm bothered by it. I just wonder why they made that choice. I wish that it was Leia, kind of. I think I do, too. Um, but because of what we what I was just saying, I don't think I mind princess, but I definitely would have preferred Leia. And for our last listener question, this one comes from Chris Fisher, and Chris wanted us to talk about how Empire was not as well-liked as A New Hope when it was first released, which this is one of those things that is is always really interesting looking at in hindsight and how films and people's opinions of films have changed over time. Um, I know the one thing that people love to talk about and I love to talk about too is how people theorized for years until Return of the Jedi came out that Vader was really lying to Luke. Yeah, there's so many funny theories that come out of that. It's mm-hmm. just it's just awesome when you find like an old fanzine and Pablo Hidalgo yeah. sometimes posts them. They're really great. Yeah, they're funny. But, you know, I have a lot of family members who I often probe about their experiences in 1977 and 1980 and 1983 and, like, what their film experience was like watching Star Wars. And everyone is always like, I can't, you know, everyone always has, like, the same reaction where they're like, I couldn't even believe, like, what we were seeing in 1977. And then we went to go see in 1980 and we were just, like, all really confused and floored. And it's just that confusion kind of in the critic's mind kind of is perceived quite negatively, I think. Um, And we're so fortunate now that we have like the one that we can pop in right after this and we know what happens. But I think I would have been super frustrated and actually would have probably made me pissed off about this movie and I might not have liked it as much. Yeah, I think that's a really good point because there is, there's, you're given so much information in this movie, not a lot of clear information. (laughs) Um, it's just little bits and pieces, like the state of the rebellion. You see them at the beginning, but then you never see them again throughout the rest of the movie. So if you were interested in the rebellion versus the empire, all you saw was a very sad rebellion <laughs> after <laughs> after Hoth. And then, of course, you have Han, who is in Carbonite and off with Boba Fett. And then, you know, you have the creme de la creme, Vader and Luke. And then you also have everything that happened on Dagobah which was a lot and then it it just even though it ends on this really happy note you're absolutely right I think I think I agree with you I probably would have been really confused and frustrated at how little actually happened I know it's just kind of odd like I think that it's just such a vastly different movie than A New Hope as well that I think that Mm -hmm. viewers back then were expecting another like campy fun space opera um that was like exciting and ended with a bang and like of course this one really ended with like the bang of the century but it's a different kind and it's an extreme cliffhanger and the other movie did not and it really just is kind of like well sorry you gotta wait for three years sorry well if i may say this um i bet they probably expected something like the force awakens not with new characters with the same characters but it follows the same plot and you just have a bigger death star at the end of it yeah, you know, I bet that's probably what people were expecting. And I don't know enough about film history um, and especially film history from that period outside of Star Wars. Um, but I'm sure a lot of other sequels at that time probably weren't pushing about ba- pushing the boundaries like George Lucas was in their sequels. I bet they were doing similar things, just switching it up a little bit. Whereas, yeah, you know, bigger, better, but similar. Yeah. But Empire Strikes Back was a complete departure from A New Hope. Totally. Um, so yeah, I bet they were expecting something like The Force Awakens. And it's, it, you know, Force The Force Awakens does end with a pretty 
big cliffhanger as well. And we're still theorizing about it and still talking about it. But we only have to wait two years. Um, three years no, is a long time. No, we only have to wait five months. <laughs> I think that that would have had a real big effect about what I thought about this movie. I might not have loved it. I'm going to be honest. I might have been like, well, this is just such a money grab for the next yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Well, if you guys saw Empire Strikes Back in theaters and had to wait the agonizing three years before we got to Return of the Jedi, what did you guys think about it after you came out? Did you love it? I'm sure everyone loved it immediately when they saw it. You know, it's like... Yeah, as as yeah. we do with every Star Wars movie. Exactly. Um, but on reflection and, and during those three years, did you guys keep loving Empire Strikes Back or did it kind of start to confuse and frustrate you? Uh, let us know because we would be interested to hear. Yes. Um, but I think that's going to wrap up this episode. We've had a really great time talking all about Empire Strikes Back. And be sure to check out our Twitter poll about what Carrie Fisher movie we should talk about for free on our Patreon page in the next week-ish, probably. Ish. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's either going to be Postcards from the Edge starring Meryl Streep, which is choice A, or B... When Harry Met Sally. But thank you guys so much as always for listening. Um, we have had a really good time going through our machete order so far. And so the next one we're going to be talking about is Attack of the Clones, which is actually my favorite prequel and is probably my favorite prequel because of this transition from Empire Strikes Back to Attack of the Clones. And I'm really excited to talk about it. So I hope you guys are too. So fire up your DVD players and join along with us. And <laughs> um, like we said, you can get those episodes um, and so much more for free on our Patreon page. Um, going back with our Moulin Rouge and our Corvette Summer episode. And we do want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to our Patreons, Dean, Amy, Ryan, and Chuck. Thank you guys so much for your support. We really appreciate it. And as always, you can follow us at Skytalkers Pod, and our website is skytalkers.com. And we hope to see you at DragonCon. Oh, yeah, DragonCon. Thank you so much for listening, and may the Force be with you. May the Force be with you. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Sky Talkers, This Galactic Life, part of the Assembly of Geeks Podcasting Network. Find the girls on skytalkers.com and we'll see you next time.